Good morning and welcome to Daily Word and Prayer. This is Thursday morning, August 5th. So glad to have you along as we continue and are wrapping up, beginning to wrap up this series that we've been talking about, the creation evolution uh, controversy. And I hope that you've enjoyed it. I'd like to begin this morning by reading from Psalm 111. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart in the company of the upright and in the assembly. Great are the works of the Lord. They are studied by all who delight in them. Splendid and majestic is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has made his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. One of the great wonders and miracles of, of, um, of Scripture and of history and of, of the work of God is his creation. And so as we've been studying this, I know lots of times we, you know, we think of others. And for, for obviously, the greatest work of the Lord is the cross, the resurrection, the redemption of humanity, reconciling us to the Father, bringing us back into relationship with God. And God did many miracles through the Old Testament, the deliverance of Israel from Egypt and the Red Sea and so forth. But this miracle of creation is one that we don't want to neglect we don't want to forget. And there's so much that we can be encouraged by, so much that we can be uh, proud of. And we don't need to be intimidated or, or on the defensive, worrying about that we don't have the truth or that somehow the Bible's dis been disproven here. I've made the claim, and I believe it, that probably intellectually more people have left the faith over this topic than anything else ever. And somehow we have allowed people to think that this, this idea of evolution, it can explain the world in which we live. It can't. It falls woefully short, and we need not be intimidated. Now, I do want to add, because I've had, evidently I've had people coming to this YouTube, uh, uh, seeing these videos, that aren't believers, that don't believe in the Bible. And so I do want to add that the, the focus of these last two weeks, as I've been sharing on this topic, really is for those of us who are believers, who have the foundation that we do believe the Bible's true, and we're just trying to figure out how the two work together. If you don't believe in God, don't believe in the Bible, you're a skeptic and so forth, um, I, my answers, I would love to interact with you, but my answers would require more than than uh, in, these, in the short videos I'm doing here that are directed towards believers. Because if you're an unbeliever, if you don't even believe in God, well, you've got a whole different issues. You've got deeper problems. You've got deeper issues. And so, um, and so if, 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 you, if you're not even a believer at all in God and you don't find my answer sufficient, well, that's on you. That's on you. These are for those of us who have this basic foundation. We believe what is self-evident that it is self-evident that there is a creator, a God, okay? So I'm going to answer just some basic questions today that people put forward to me as proving evolution. And I hear these things day after day after day. Now, some evolutionists might argue that these, are not good ar these aren't good arguments. And I would agree with them. They're not good arguments, but they're the ones the students give me day after day after day. I hear them over and over again. And so I'm going to address them. As we talk about the questions about evolution, it's important that we define this, this term evolution. 
I was at the University of Nebraska once. This is the honest truth. I would not lie to you here. This is the honest truth. There was an anthropology professor out there. And he, he, uh, he, we were discussing evolution, and, and I was asking, has anyone ever, is there any proof? Why do we have no transitional forms? Why do we not see evolution happening today? Why is there no transitional forms in the fossil record or walking on Earth today? And I was asking some questions for proof. And he, and he looked at me with pity and like I'm an ignorant moron, and he said to me, Tom, have you ever seen a baby? Yeah. Did it grow into an adult? Yeah. Tom, he said, that's evolution. I wanted to pull my hair out. If that's what evolution is, count me as an evolutionist. If a baby growing to adulthood is evolution, that's, I'm an evolutionist. But my goodness, friends, that's evolution? No, we're talking about a theory put forth by Charles Darwin that said all of life is related. We all came from a single organism somehow that got started, and they don't necessarily know how to answer that question. And that through mutations and natural selection, that can explain all the diversity of life we have on Earth today. That, that the difference ultimately between you, a plant, a cockroach, a mosquito, a, an, an alligator, and a giraffe really comes down to simply this. You and I mutated differently, and the mutations happened to be advantageous, so we survived and others didn't. And that explains all the diversity of life in the world today. That's what I'm addressing. So, what are, so, so how do we answer? And we are, by the way, I might add, on the defensive. Sadly, sadly, the theory of creation has been thought, thought of as religious, and consequently, it has been banned from being taught in the public schools and, and in the universities, and, and the, therefore the field of science has been dominated by people who simply have not heard arguments in favor of the creation perspective. They just haven't. And so we are on the defensive. If you want to know some of the ways to be on the offensive, listen to my videos over the last couple of weeks. But, uh, and you can find them all on this channel. But questions, okay. First question I get maybe more than any other question when this topic comes up on campus. If evolution isn't true, explain why chimpanzees and humans have 98% similar DNA. Well, you know, they say there's, I, I won't cuss on this channel, so I'll change a word here, but they say there's such a thing as lies, darn lies, and statistics. And you can take numbers and make them say almost anything you want to say, can't you? Do you realize there's over 3 billion base pairs in the human genome? And so when they, and, and so given by, and by the way, as creationists, we don't necessarily accept this 98% figure because that's only dealing with certain parts of the genome. That's not comparing the entire genome of a chimpanzee with the entire genome of a human. That's only comparing certain portions of it. And dare I even say, this figure was being quoted to me before the human genome was even mapped. And I'm sure before the chimpanzee genome was mapped. I was, being, I was hearing this in the 90s before, the, before it was even the entire genome was mapped, and they were telling me we're 98% alike. Why? Because they're just looking at certain common portions, and they're, saying, they're seeing the similarity. Well, there are some similarities between us and the chimp. Uh, you know, we've got two eyes, two hands, two legs. You know, we got a head, we got a torso, we got a heart. You know, there are similarities biologically. 
But if you're going to say there's 3 billion base pairs in the human genome and we're 2% different, do you realize that means there's 60 million genetic differences? 60 million genetic differences? If they want to play at numbers, we can play at numbers too. If they want to say we're 98% alike, we can say, yep, there's only 60 million differences between us and them. It's a pretty powerful number, isn't it? But the bigger argument I'd make is, come on, folks, a chimpanzee, the difference, if you can't tell the difference between us and them, they're not having YouTube videos they're watching right now. They're not producing YouTube. They didn't produce an internet. They don't, they don't, they could never produce a computer, write a book, compose a symphony, build an airplane, build a building. The difference between us and a chimpanzee is so amazing because we are made in the image of God and God has made us creative people. If you only see a 2% difference between us and a chimpanzee, what are you doing in a university? The university, no, there are no chimp university, there are no chimp kindergartens out there. The difference is amazing between us and them. Secondly, second question, we're taller and live longer than our ancestors. That proves evolution's true. No, it doesn't. Not at all. It might prove we have better medicines. It might prove we have better nutrition. It might prove we have different exercise. It might prove we live in better homes that cause us to not die and it gets real cold because we got heat or, or uh, die if it gets real hot because we've got air conditioning. It might prove we got better shelter and we've, and we've done these things. But the fact that we're living longer or that we're taller has nothing to do with our genes, our genetics. Evolution has to do with our genetics, not how we can uh, change our environment to protect us from the natural elements and so forth. Unobvious answer. Third question. All humans could not have come from just two people. Such interbreeding would have created tons of birth defects. Well, it would now. But remember, we're talking about a biblical paradigm. God created Adam and Eve. He created them perfectly. This would have included their, their genome would have been perfect without defect, without genes in it that would produce a birth defect. And so Adam and Eve's offspring could inter, intermarry, reproduce with one another without, any, without a likelihood of a birth defect. But over time, see, we claim the genome is breaking down. We claim that the genome is mutating but it's mutating negatively. It's, it's losing information. And so consequently, as time goes on, yes, these mutations, they begin to add up within the human genome. And if, and, and fortunately, they're recessive. These mutations are recessive. The ne they're negative and they're recessive genes. And, and if you end up marrying your sister or someone who's a close relative, then, then those recessive genes could come forth and you would have a birth defect. But this would not have been a problem in the early generations of Adam and Eve's offspring because God made them perfect. The genome, it's, it's, it, again, we're not getting, our, our genes aren't getting better. They're, they're getting worse. They're, they're not getting more advanced. They're getting less so. They're, they're developing, they are mutating, but not positively, negatively. And you know this. I mean, if, if, if somehow a doctor were to say to you, your offspring, you know, we've done some genetic testing and that child in your womb has a mutation, you're not going to be thinking, wow, does that mean he's going to be able to fly or he's going to be Superman or Chuck Norris or something like that? 
you're going to be wondering, oh my goodness, what is, is, is it a birth defect? We realize mutations, they don't make things better, they make things worse. And yet the whole idea of evolution is given enough, they, they're making us, we, we can, from molecules to man, from apes to us, from, you know, from a single molecule all the way up to us through this process of mutation. No, mutations make things, they, they, they take away information, not add to it. Um, next question, do creations believe in evolu any evolution at all? Well, we would acknowledge, what, if you want to call it evolution, microevolution, which is changes in organism due to the deletion of information. You see, take, take for instance how this works. Take, for instance, dogs. You can breed dogs. You can see all kinds of different dogs out there. In our neighborhood, we've got all kinds of different dogs. How did they get that way? They got that way by separating the population. And so you put the dogs, for instance, that get long hair, you just have them breed with one another and you end up getting only long-haired dogs. You separate out the short-haired dogs, they breed with one another, and now, now they won't produce long-haired dogs anymore, only short-haired dogs. Big dogs, you separate them out. Little dogs, you separate them out. All these different, the way we get this, this variety is because we separate them out among, and have them interbreed amongst themselves, and then these, these um, distinctives come forth. But that information was always in those early dogs, you see? The DNA that would make long hair, short hair dogs was in those dogs. We just isolated them out so that only one now became prominent. The information in the DNA that could have produced offspring dogs, big or small, now we separate out the small ones, the big ones, and now all that's in time, all that's left is the genes for the big ones, the genes for the small ones, the genes for the short hair, genes for the long hair. No new information was created. It's simply the information was isolated. The DNA was isolated, and therefore these different characteristics came forth. We believe that happens. That would be called microevolution. It's where changes are occurring because of the deletion of information. Those big dogs no longer have the small dog gene. Those long-haired dogs no longer have the short-haired gene. Their ancestors had all of that, but they got isolated out. So we would believe that would be a form of microevolution the deletion of material, the isolation of different genes. But we don't believe in adding information from simple to complex, the information that wasn't there in the DNA. And we, we can understand how dogs can have different, you know, its descendants can have different qualities, characteristics. But as we saw yesterday, little changes don't mean big changes. Changes in a dog doesn't mean you can come up with, how, you know, how do you, how do you get the difference between vertebrates and invertebrates? Warm-blooded, cold-blooded, sexual versus asexual. Um, those who breathe air, those organisms breathe air, organisms breathe water. water. I mean, the different, those differences are so structural. It's, it's, um, that's a big gap to change. We don't believe in those things. How do you explain so many similarities within so many organisms, we're asked? Well, it's real simple. We've got a common creator. We've got a common creator. The same, you know, it's kind of like walking in a room and uh, there's a there's a uh, art gallery in, in D.C. that when we visit there, and there's a room of all Rembrandts. And all the paintings are different, but they all kind of look similar, similar style. How do you explain that? Well, they all came from the same artist. They didn't come from one another. They came from the same artist. Picasso's 
His, his are distinct. They all have the same artist. Why is there a distinction? Why are some animals seem, even though they're different, they seem to have like two legs or two arms or two eyes, things like this? Well, God knows what works. The same creator made them. Oh, I'm running low on time here, and I have my, and uh, let's deal with this. uh, Well, how about antibiotics, we're told? This is a big one now with all this, you know, coronavirus going around and vaccines and discussion about this and the science, follow the science and so forth. We have antibiotics. So, if you know, you get sick and you have a bacterial infection, you can take an antibiotic, but if you aren't careful and you take them too often, some antibiotics will, re, will not be killed off, and then they'll become superbugs. They'll become strong and resistant antibiotics, and you get quite sick. So you got to be very careful that you don't overdo this antibiotics. So doesn't resistance to antibiotics prove evolution? Well, no. All that proves is that the stronger ones, the ones that, that were that resisted, the, the antibiotic didn't, didn't kill all bacteria, and the ones that didn't kill uh, grew, multiplied, became more prominent, became stronger. Not that they changed, but they just survived. And because they survived, they became more prominent. They're, they, they're, they multiplied, they proliferated, and therefore you've got a bigger, bigger problem. It's not really a... that, that we, we do believe... Again, we can believe in natural selection if what we mean by that is do some organisms survive in a certain environment and thrive while others are killed off. Well, that, that does happen. We don't have a problem with that. But that can, can show a survival of the fittest, not the arrival of the fittest. It doesn't explain, it doesn't explain how, it, it, there's not a genetic change that's occurring <clears throat> that's causing a new strain. It's just causing one that was there to, that survives to become more, more dominant and to proliferate. So that would explain, as we said, it doesn't explain how we got it. It just explains why some survived and others didn't. In other words, the survival of the fittest, not the arrival of the fittest. I'm running out of time. Those are most of the questions I get. Those are the ones I get. And they're so easy to answer. And none of them, none of them come close to proving this whole big, entire narrative we've been given that from molecules to man from from the original spark of life to the incredible complexity we see in nature let's not take glory from god let's not take glory from god you and i are amazing beings we've talked to her before but my goodness you are you're more than a machine you're a living soul you're alive you're alive, you and I, and life all around us. We used to talk about the simple cell. No, it is so complex. That leaf, the photo, if you ever see how photosynthesis works and how it's diagrammed, it's incredibly complex in every leaf, every green plant. My friend, everywhere we look, we see the evidence of an incredibly intelligent God. We study his works because we praise him. We love him. You and I who believe in creation, we've got nothing to be ashamed of, nothing to be intimidated about. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, you go talk to someone who majors in a scientific field and they study evolution all the time. You know, you may not be able to debate them because they, they're they immersed in this world and you're not. 
doesn't mean they have a truth you don't have. It just means, you know, you got rusty. You might have forgotten things we talked about here. And that's, that's the reality. You may not be an expert in this field, but don't be intimidated. Don't be, our God is the expert. And there are creation scientists who will go toe-to-toe with any evolutionist and be glad to do it if they would be willing to debate us. And uh, so often they're not. So praise the Lord. Father, what a wonderful world you've made. What a wonderful God you are. Who could, the, who could know the mind of the Lord? We, we talk about uh, the DNA as if it's uh, some simple little thing. And Father, the information, and the complexity of it, the design of it, the, the way it works is beyond what we could have ever even hardly imagined. And the more we discover, and Lord, we're just, we're just at the tip of the iceberg. What an amazing God. What a brilliant God. What an intelligent God. We praise you. We praise you for your wonders, oh, that we would study them and give and not take glory from you. We confess, oh God. And we forgive us for the way our schools and our universities and so many intelligent among us think all this happened without you. All this happened by chance. All this happened just by accidents. Lord, the, 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 the information that would support that is so, so weak. And just plain old common sense tells us when you see something this complex and well-designed, there has to be a designer. There has to be a creator. There has to be. We give you praise. We are unashamed in saying we believe in you. We believe that you made us. Fearfully and wonderfully are we made. We thank you for how you've made us. Thank you, Lord, for every bit about who we are. You don't make mistakes. And we thank you for who we are, how you've made us, the special purposes you have for our lives. Thank you for your reason. Lord, we've talked about the details, but we thank you for the reasons. You made us to bring you glory. You made us to have dominion on this earth. You made us to rule. You made us to to make a difference. You've given us purpose. Might we walk in it? And might this very day be a day of fruitful service and purpose? Might we reflect you and your glory in all that we do? Thank you. We're not only made, we're made in your image. Thank you for choices we can make, faith we can have, love we can show, character that we can display and develop. Lord, we bless you today and we love you. We thank you for all these things we've been learning. We praise you in Jesus' name and give you this day. Amen, amen, and amen. Okay, folks, hope you've enjoyed this. Tomorrow will be our last time on this series. If, again, if you're just tuning in for the first time over the last couple of weeks, and you can find my videos on this channel right here, Tom the Preacher, YouTube, search Tom the Preacher, and you'll find them. And over the last couple of weeks of our Daily Word and Prayer, we've been discussing this issue of creation evolution. So if you'd like to know more about it, make sure and check those out. And I hope you come back every day. We're here every day, 8.30 a.m. And also, if you miss it, you can watch later in the day. You can watch later that week, or you can listen to the podcast on the Apple, Spotify, or Google platforms. So God bless you. You have a great day. I love you guys. Hope to see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.